Springfield's Talk 104.1. My name is Nick Reed, and I want to welcome you all to the show. As we broadcast live from Scramblers, it's a little something we do every Friday. Sponsored by Affordable Towing, we do the show out here live. and It's a great uh, great place to come, have yourself some breakfast or have lunch for breakfast if you want. Also, I know a lot of you, you listen and particularly as things start to heat up election season you you want to get involved you don't really know how to get involved you you don't want to just go to the local republican headquarters uh, um and and so you don't know who to talk to this is a great place to come because there's a corner here that is always filled with some of those very people the people that are active the people that can tell you oh well this organization's great that organization's great uh the missouri republican assembly oftentimes has people here um and that term can be misleading when you hear assembly people think it's a government entity but it was in fact an organization that um was, uh, i believe founded by reagan it was supposed to be the the citizens that keep the republican party where it needs to be holds their feet to the fire and so forth and so um it's you know just a great place to come if ever you're wanting to meet some people that are involved on a more local level and uh can get you in the loop on things so just for you to keep in mind and of course like i said just great lunch or breakfast here uh at scramblers seven days a week in fact uh, let's go ahead before we get to the latest weather and jump over and get the latest news update. Good morning. I'm Color 10's Jesse Inman. Here's a look at what's making news on your Friday. A sentencing hearing will be held today for a man convicted of killing a Clinton police officer in 2017. Ian James McCarthy was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Officer Gary Michael during a traffic stop. After being pulled over, McCarthy got out of his car and began shooting at officers with a rifle. Lane shifts will begin soon along James River Freeway near Campbell. MoDOT has temporarily restriped and narrowed down lanes in both directions, so work can begin on expanding the overpass at the interchange. It's all part of the ongoing widening project between National and Kansas Expressway, set to be done by next November. And the Chiefs drop their season opener to the Lions 21-20. For Color 10 and Fox 49, I'm Jesse Inman. First alert forecast sponsored by Navant, employee benefits that work from Color 10 Fox 49 meteorologist Tom Schmidt. A cloudy morning, sunny afternoon, high of 86 today, clear 58 for a low tonight, sunny 83 tomorrow, Sunday sunny with a high of 84. And we got a character in the house. You don't have to turn anything on. What are you looking for? You never know. You just <laughs> yeah. never know. That's that's if you're sitting over here. You're good. I'm used you're to good. being on the wedding singer side, not yeah. the actual, you know, like, see, important person side. So. Well, look at you moving on up. Anthony Carriker here, yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah. not a not a whole lot of news from the mortgage world. The biggest thing I want to talk about right now is the fact that student loans are going to come due again uh, here pretty soon. So a lot of people probably know about this if they have student loans, or at least I'm hoping they do. If you don't and you don't have a plan for how to possibly deal with those payments, don't forget, guys, if you own a house... That's a way you can always pay off higher okay. interest debts and, you know, other undesirable payments. Wrap them all up into, you know, that mortgage payment. Yes, might be a little higher interest on the mortgage, but we can show you exactly how that calculates out to kind of offset your other bills that may be higher interest. So 
definitely uh, keep that in mind moving forward. If anybody has those student loans when those payments hit next month and uh, they start up again, if that's going to put you in a financial bind, don't wait till the water rises. Give us a call and see how we can help you. I mean, even if you don't own a house, we're happy to pass you along to whoever we can that may be able to help in your scenario. So, yeah, another component to that regarding the student loans and you're talking about issues of credit and um, because you know, your student loan that impacts credit, right? I believe so, and I'm not real sure on the credit reporting stuff as far as if that maybe functions more like medical debt to where yes I don't it can affect think it, it but like we don't yeah necessarily well here's the like, the point is on, uh, because of politics and the Biden administration convincing all these Americans that someone else is going to pick up their college debt for them when he himself and Nancy Pelosi acknowledged he didn't have the legal authority to do so it was all just all just political reasons um, you, you know, you may have some people out there that think, well, I don't have to worry about this. And, oh, we have to pay student. Well, that, that doesn't apply to me. And they've created this world of confusion. In fact, one of our regular listeners who is here, he said that he has student loans and he fully intends on, but he got a thing saying, oh, uh, you don't have to pay him anymore. And he tried to log into his account, couldn't. And so he he doesn't even know am I supposed to pay so they've created all of this confusion and it's it's unfortunate but definitely try to keep on top of it because you don't want the 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 confusion created for political purposes to do harm to your credit so to clarify it's early and I think I kind of misunderstood your question yeah. yes it will absolutely impact your credit as far as if you make payments late or right. things okay. like that um I was honestly, like I said, misunderstood the question. I was like, is it going to impact your credit that they are having payments again? That I honestly don't oh, know because oh, they're no, already no. on the report. I see what you're saying. Like debt, <laughs> so, debt yes. ratio, the debt ratio component to it. Is well, what you were we already about. counted a hypothetical Got payment it. for okay. anyone who has those student loans in saying. the mortgage world. So like we're accounting for a payment right now. Chances are those payments that are mandatory are going to be higher than our hypotheticals. We have to count Got legally. It. But yes, yes, the student loans absolutely will impact. Credit score I probably wasn't specific enough them. in my question oh, there. Not you. It's very early for me. I'm running okay. off like five and a half hours of sleep. So, well, all right. Uh, but to your greater point there, if it is something that people are looking at, man, you know, on top of the, these these numbers that we've seen over the past two years, the economic policies that have been just punishing the middle and lower income Americans, where the, in terms of buying power, the average household has lost over seven hundred dollars in buying power, and then. On top of that, you know, you can, you can have this new student loan thing being thrown at you. Uh, yeah, check with you guys, and maybe a refinancing situation could be in yep. play. And if you're already pre-qualified to purchase and you know you have student loan debt that exists, they have probably been counting the lowest hypothetical payment they can for you. So come next month, if you're still pre-qualified and looking, you need to reach back out to your lender, or you could always come to us. We'd be happy to help. And that's... <laughs> So easy and, to do. But yeah, big thing for a lot of prequaled people is once those payments do change and that starts reporting, that could definitely skew your qualifications. Okay. So be on top of the ball, guys. Don't let that kind of bite you in the butt when you go to place an offer. Yep. And the place to get all the answers you need, I want a great com. Because you do. All right. Have a great weekend, sir. Thank you. You as well. All right. Let's do some traffic now. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041.
one of the ongoing disinformation narratives from the media and the Democrats is that the the um, essentially extortion, if you will, by Joe Biden when he was vice president, threatening to withhold a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine unless they fired the prosecutor who was looking into corruption of Burisma, the energy company in which Hunter Biden was a board member, that that had nothing to do with the money being paid to the Bidens, nothing whatsoever, um, had nothing to do with the meetings that they were having and and the, the decision that they made at dinner that night uh, to make a call to Washington to have somebody step in and fix things for him, and then Joe Biden um, then making the threat. Not, 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 it was all for one reason and one reason only, and that was because Joe Biden, and America and the world was so adamant that Ukraine clean up their corruption that that's what Biden was actually. Biden wasn't the corrupt one. Biden was that. See, the prosecutor was not doing enough. He was part of the problem. And so he was doing what any good vice president would do. Now, this, of course, is an absurd lie. And we know it's an absurd lie. We've known it in the past because <clears throat> we have, as the public, we've been given access to and over time been revealed through memos, emails, and so forth, that prior to that, the Obama administration, the State Department, were communicating with Ukrainians, telling them, in fact, the opposite, that we are very pleased with how things are going with this prosecutor. You're doing a great job. The money's going to keep flowing. The, the information that has exposed the truth has been further solidified by a European memo. Just the news reporting, Europeans' latest to provide evidence undercutting Joe Biden's story about firing Ukrainian prosecutor. Biden's story has been that he threatened to withhold the money to Ukraine only because Prosecutor Shokin was not meeting anti-corruption standards. His own State Department said otherwise. Again, this is something we know for a fact. And now evidence shows that the European Union uh, um, concluded that Shokin had met all the benchmarks on the anti-corruption reform. So in other words... Every bit of information that was prior to Biden making the threat to withhold that money, forcing the Ukrainians to fire Shokin, shows that the Obama administration and now the European Union, everyone was saying that Shokin is doing a great job. The story reads, a week after then-Vice President Joe Biden began pressuring Ukraine to fire its chief prosecutor in late 2015 by withholding the U.S. loan guarantees, the European Union reached internal consensus, our European allies. Consensus, we know how much the left loves to talk about consensus. The European Union reached internal consensus in a memo saying that Prosecutor Shokin's office and the country at large had met all of the goals for fighting corruption, organized crime, and human trafficking. The newly revealed memo directly undercuts the narrative crafted by Democrats during Donald Trump's first impeachment, 
and sustained during the 2020 presidential election, namely that the reason Biden fired Shokin over U.S. and European concerns that he wasn't fighting corruption aggressively, aggressively enough. Now, that is another component to this that is relevant, and that is the impeachment of Trump which is becoming increasingly clear that was about covering up the corruption of Biden. Because we were hearing word, and and Shokin had already revealed this, that there was corruption at play here. And what are we supposed to do as the United States? These loan guarantees, what were they tied to? The United States making sure that corruption in Ukraine was dealt with, right? I mean, in fact, it was a lie, but that's what the that's what Joe Biden has claimed was the reason that he was going to withhold that money. And so Trump doing what the what what we were obliged to do. And that is make sure that Ukraine is keeping on top of corruption. And so Trump had that phone call with Zelensky about corruption and the and, and the the allegations and evidence of bribery with Hunter Biden and so forth. And so Democrats, in a move to cover up for all of that, impeach Trump, accusing him instead of doing what it is we were obligated to do, and that was pressure Ukraine to clean up corruption, that he was actually trying to create corruption. See how everything in this entire scenario with Ukraine is the exact opposite of the way that they tell the story. They claim that Biden was trying to, uh, you know, get rid of the corruption when he was the one protecting it and part of it. They claim that Shokin, now, after the fact, that he wasn't doing enough. Yet we know, based on their own memos from our State Department during the Obama years to the European Union, said the opposite, that he was the answer. He was doing a very good job. They impeached Trump, alleging that he wasn't trying to clean up corruption. He was the one causing it, while he was the one that was trying to get... uh, uh, um, Zelensky to look into the corruption for the purposes of cleaning it up while Joe Biden was the one creating it. You know what is just it is really disgusting when you look at all of this discussion about Ukraine and corruption and the withholding of money and all of this was done it, you know, from the way that our government has been presenting this, all in the name of cleaning up corruption, we were the corrupt ones. You realize that? We were the corrupt ones. It's like a dirty police chief. And here you've got a, you know, you got the 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 police chief that is supposed to be overseeing the cleanup of corruption, yet it turns out that he is smearing the good guys who are slowly exposing the corruption because the police chief is the corrupt guy and he's there to protect the corruption. We were using money as an incentive, so we said, in order to clean up corruption in Ukraine, yet it was being used to further corruption. 
It was being used to force the firing of the prosecutor who was the good guy in the scenario, who was the one cleaning up the corruption when it came to Burisma, of course, the company that Hunter Biden was a board member of. And we all know why it was. It's, it's you know, it's to a separate or to a degree, it's a separate issue. But we've heard so much discussion about, you know, as some people want to paint Ukraine as well. We should defend Ukraine because they're fantastic and wonderful and freedom loving individuals. And many others have noted the fact that it's a very, very corrupt country, and it's been very corrupt. We've outdone them. And here we had evidently at least one guy who was making efforts, who was making headways in cleaning up the corruption, and Biden had him fired to protect corruption. We are the bad guys in that relationship as the United States. And this memo from the European Union is just more proof that the Democrats' claim and the media's claim that the firing was in order to clean things up was an absolute lie, is an absolute lie. Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. Enough with the lies. We need facts. It's well-balanced conversation. This is Springfield's Talk 1041. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Former Trump advisor Peter Navarro convicted on two counts of contempt of Congress. Former White House economic advisor Peter Navarro convicted by a jury on two counts of criminal contempt of Congress. The D.C. jury, of course, determined Navarro willfully failed to comply with the House January 6th committee subpoena when he refused to testify before the uh, committee and produce documents. Of course, he's not the first one. If you are a Republican, then you are subject to this sort of persecution, former Trump advisor Steve Bannon, he was convicted last year of two counts of criminal contempt of Congress, um, as well, uh, again, D.C. jury, because if you want to throw political opposition in prison, if that political opposition, if you know, if they're Republicans or Trump supporters, you do it in D.C. But again, just this year, the FBI has refused to comply with subpoenas from Congress. This is the dual justice of system. This is why our justice, our justice system is not justice at all. It is a sword that is yield against the enemy, which are the Republicans. It is a shield that is used to protect the Democrats. And so here are instances in which, frankly, these are just political people, citizens in some capacity, that go to prison because they say, um, no, I don't think constitutionally I'm required to comply with this subpoena. And so, okay, fine, kick it to a Democrat-run court in Washington, D.C., where 80% or 85% of the jury pool are Democrats and want to see Republicans in prison. But if you are in law, if you're a law enforcement person protecting the left, if you are in the corrupt FBI, an agency that some people would argue should be held to a higher standard, not a lower one, and you refuse to supply with a, uh, or to comply with a subpoena as has happened in the last year, well, that's just perfectly legitimate and fine, see. 
Springfield's Talk 1041 live from Scramblers. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Now, I don't think there's a person listening who doesn't at some point need a friend who's in real estate, Maybe even if it's not for you. Like you, I so often see people on social media that say, hey, I need a recommendation. I need a real estate agent. We're, you know, We need to sell the home or, or we're looking to move into the area. Who do you recommend? And I'm telling you, Emily Johnson, House Theory Realty, you can read her reviews. She does a tremendous job. You know, it, it took two years to get Sarah and her husband in the right home. Emily Johnson never, ever, ever gave up. Um, and, and frankly, she encouraged Sarah and Ryan to not give up as well, and, and it got them in that first dream home of theirs. Uh, you know, My experience with her, the experience so many of you have had with her, just cannot recommend her highly enough for all of your real estate needs. And even if you just have some questions, you wonder, hey, I don't know how much my house is worth. Should I sell now? Um, she's going to give you great advice on that. Emily Johnson, House Theory Realty. First alert forecast from Color 10, Fox 49, meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Mostly cloudy morning, eventually sunshine today, high of 86, clear tonight, 58 for a low. Sunny 83 tomorrow and Sunday sunny with a high of 84. I want to share something with you that I'm sure many of you have heard, and it is the polling, recent polling that has taken place, and it's national polling that has Democrats in the media a little concerned about Joe Biden's prospects. And uh, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because you know and you see the bias in the media. But some of you may not realize that the bias has actually affected you, and you don't even realize it. And it has to do with the electability of Donald Trump. The the conventional wisdom that is put out there is that Trump's the guy who can't win. Biden's already beat him. Trump's got too much baggage. We need to move on from him. A vote for Trump is a vote for Biden. And you hear some establishment Republicans say this. I have heard, and you may be one of these individuals that say, well, I I like Trump, but I just don't think he can win. I bring this up because if we're going to look, let's say, at polling, there is no polling that indicates that that is true. The polling that that has been done, and I'm not talking about the primary stuff where he clearly has the continued double-digit lead over the other candidates, but I'm talking general election stuff. Every, at least in the the recent election cycle that we're in at this point, poll that's been done shows Trump either ahead by a little bit of Biden or in a statistical tie with Biden. Now, that doesn't mean that he automatically would win, but they have so pounded away at this mantra that Trump can't win. He's the one who can't win. Yet all the polling shows that he has the exact same chance within this window 
as all the other candidates do. There was a survey that asked respondents who they would choose in a series of hypothetical head-to-head matchups. Now, you've got, of course, a plus or minus of 3.5%. All right? So, this, and it's a CNN poll. Trump 47, Biden 46. So, beating Biden by one, but within margin of error, you say it's a tie. DeSantis Biden 47-47. Pence Biden 46-44. Tim Scott Biden 46-44. Ramaswamy Biden. Biden one point ahead 46-45. Christie Biden 44-42. The one that is outside the margin of error is Haley with 49% to 43%. Now my point here is that... Trump is, when it comes to the polling here, in the mix, as everyone else is. And that isn't to say that that means that Trump would be the best and strongest candidate in the environment that we're in at this time. It's not to say he wouldn't be. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about this narrative that continues that Trump is the one who can't win, yet all of the polls show that he has just as good of a chance as any of the Republicans of beating Biden. Now, what's interesting, so here's something, though, that's really interesting about this poll that should be noted as well. Um, and it's somewhat of a contradiction because we talk about the least accurate polling for presidential elections or sort of national surveys because, as you know, we go by an electoral college system. And so, um, it's state by state that actually matters. But when you look at the national vote, which is what this is polling, while it's not relevant in terms of the Electoral College, it is relevant given that Trump did not win the popular vote. And that's what this is ranking. So in reality, while this isn't an observation regarding the Electoral College polling, it is of a of the national in which he didn't win last time. So arguably, he's doing better against Biden now, according to the polling, than he was when he ran against him last time. Now, I understand polls are polls, and we are over a year, a year and a couple months from the election, and a lot of things can occur. But the but I, I guess this is just what I'm trying to get across to people. If you are somebody that is a Trump supporter... And there's this little, this emotional instinct that I like Trump, but I just feel that he can't win. What are you basing that on? Are you basing that off the fact that people don't like Trump keep saying that? Because as best I can tell, that is the only indicator. And that's not really an indicator at all. That's just people who don't like Trump. Because the only other thing we really have to go by is polling as inaccurate as it is. And the polling does not show that to be true. So every single time you have, and this is what I think is funny, you know, Chris Christie, for example, um, and, and Pence and some of these others that are out there saying that, well, you know, Trump can't win. Well, according to the polling, you don't have any better chance than he does. So I don't know what you're going by here, but if it's the polling, then then your argument 
you know, applies to you as well. Live from Scrambler's Friday Road Show, sponsored by Affordable Towing, I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. There is a story that's getting attention. I know the news leader has a piece regarding it. Um, Color 10, Fox 49, I think KY3 does as well. About a Greene County judge sentencing a man to five years probation after um, viral surveillance video caught him just viciously and brutally beating his ex-girlfriend. The assault happened. I'm going to read to you from uh, the Color 10 story here, OzarksFirst.com. The assault happened July 2022, according to court documents. Probable cause statements said the victim was going to see a friend at the View apartment complex in Springfield when she saw Rostell King. King's attorney, Adam Woody, said, quote, there's no reason or justification behind what he did, but it was just a matter of the things going through his head, of things that he had heard on the streets, essentially. It was just a momentary flash of anger, lasted five seconds, and changed a lot of people's lives. Well, unfortunately, that five seconds was viciously brutal. The surveillance video showed King punching and kicking the woman. The probable cause statement noted that the victim had swelling, cuts, blood, and a broken tooth from the assault. She also had to get 12 stitches. Prosecuting attorney Dan Patterson said the victim in this case has permanent scars. She suffered from a merciless, unprovoked, brutal attack. I don't know how to explain how someone gets probation for that offense. King was charged with first-degree domestic assault, something Patterson says warrants prison time. Quote, first-degree assault is a dangerous felony, and the legislature, which sets the, pub, uh, the public policy, the state tells us that if someone is committed to the Department of Corrections, it's so serious that they should serve 85% of their sentence, Patterson said. In this case, the charge the defendant pled guilty to was a Class B felony, which carries between 5 and 15 years in the Department of Corrections. King pleaded guilty, which left sentencing in the judge's hands. The uh, attorney for the attacker said the state here obviously did ask the court for prison time. We asked the court for probation, and we provided a lot of information. The court made a well-reasoned, thought-out ruling, and he determined that prison wasn't necessary here. I 100% agree that prison was not a necessary thing. Woody, the attorney, said the disturbing video shows a lack of judgment from King. He also said King attended several programs to prove the assault was a one-time incident. Now, how the hell you do that, I don't know. I, I, I quote, I sent in all sorts of information programs my client has done since the incident date anger management substance abuse counseling domestic violence counseling personal counseling medical reports he's worked extremely hard since the incident date to better himself to ensure that his anger does not get the best of him in the future obviously prosecutors have a different view of the video patterson saying the victim who gave a victim impact statement talked like many victims the brutal attack was captured on camera was not the first incident of abuse that she had suffered at his hands There had been a pattern of abuse prior to this, but as in many cases had not been reported. He brutally and mercilessly attacked the victim and then wrote rap songs, 
glamorizing the attack. He may not have a prior record, but this offense enough called for prison time. The defense is thankful that the judge instead gave King a second chance at the sentencing. His attorney saying of the attacker, he's a young man with a clean criminal record, a college degree, a bright future, and the court determined to not destroy all of that by sending him to prison for eight and a half years. He's worked extremely hard to better himself, to show that this was a one-time terrible lapse in judgment. He explained, he, even in sentencing, his heart goes out to the victim. He doesn't know what got into him. He was extremely apologetic. He solely accepted responsibility. and uh, He solely accepted responsibility and is not a recidivism rate in his future. If King does not follow the probation rules, that he could face 10 years in the Department of Corrections. So essentially, now the message that this sends is that I guess you get a free crack at the bat. This whole idea that, and and I reject this notion, particularly when it comes to a viciously violent crime, that you get a freebie. That, well, he's never done it before, so, well, he doesn't have a criminal record, so. Now, I bring this up. Because we see, particularly in Democrat-run cities, and Springfield is run by leftists, maybe not quite as extreme, though some of them are, as you see in Portland and in Chicago. We're getting there, and you're seeing the results of it when it comes to crime. There has been so much focus on defunding the police and the contribution that has had when it comes to the increase in crime. And that is a factor. The funding, I would argue, or the the cutting off of funding, is not as impactful in terms of the negative outcomes as just the environment it creates of siding with criminals over police. It creates an atmosphere in which criminals are recognizing that city leaders are defaulting to be on their side as opposed to the side of the police. That's far more damaging than the cutting off of funds. And evidence of that is even some of these cities you have seen that all of a sudden decide, "Uh uh-oh, that was a mistake, so let's start funding law enforcement again. That doesn't automatically make that crime go away because that culture has already been created. A component that is recognized oftentimes, but I think we need to really recognize it here, when it comes to this crime problem and the breeding of the crime, it is this end of it. It is the punishment end of it. What difference, and this is the way that criminals see it, they don't, getting caught is not what matters to them. It's what the punishment is that matters. And you can have one law enforcement official for every citizen. But if when they face 15 years in prison for a brutal attack, and then they're able to say, I'm sorry, I really didn't mean it, it was bad judgment, and then they get probation for it, it doesn't matter how many police officers you have. You know, there, there are a number of different spokes in this wheel. And 
you could argue over which one has been the most impactful in terms of turning some of our cities into this country, into these hell holes. But I, I think when it really gets down to it, arguably, what has been the, the most devastating impact on cities when it comes to the increase in crime has been the recognition by criminals that they don't, re- they don't really fear any true punishment. To them, there is not the concern that the punishment is going to make them go, gosh, that wasn't worth it. And as much focus as we put on defunding the police and the danger, I think that there needs to be just as much focus on these sorts of cases, arguably even more focus as a contributing factor, perhaps the primary contributing factor to the, the, the societal problems that we're seeing when it comes to crime. Because I'm telling you right now, this whole brutal beating of a woman writing rap songs glorifying it but then going to a class or two and having college on your resume as a reason to not actually have to go to prison sends a message and it certainly isn't one that is going to benefit the citizens springfield's talk 1041 i'm nick reed you're listening to nick reed in the morning on springfield's talk 1041 Streaming live, KSGF.com. All right, talking about defunding the police. Uh, a story you're probably going to hear about today. A the chairwoman of the Democrat Party in Minnesota who once called to defund the police. She was carjacked and assaulted in Minneapolis. Horrible, horrible situation. Awful. She thanked the Minneapolis police and pushed to prosecute youths, quote, quote, running wild after she was carjacked Tuesday, despite previous support for dismantling the department. Shavanthi Sanathanen, the second vice chairwoman for the Minnesota Democrat Farmer Labor Party, posted on Facebook Wednesday that she was, quote, violently carjacked by four very young men, all carrying guns. She said they assaulted her in front of her children outside their home in broad daylight. She also included a photo of her head injuries and reported having a broken leg, deep lacerations on her head, bruising and cuts around her body, as well as feeling rage against the lack of accountability against the criminals. Quote, these men knew what they were doing. I have no doubt they have done this before, yet they are still on our streets killing mothers giving babies psychological trauma that a lifetime of therapy cannot erase with no hesitation and no remorse she continued i'm now part of the statistics i wasn't silent when i fought these men to save my life and my babies i won't be silent now we need to get in here we go this is where you have the disconnect from reality She says, we need to get illegal guns off our street, catch these young people who are running wild, creating chaos across our city, and hold them in custody and protect them, period. She would go on to um, talk about how... um, Oh, that was previous, uh, where she was railing against police. 
she's changed her tune on law enforcement. It, yeah, because at one point she was talking about dismantling the Minneapolis Police Department. Well, now she's saying thank you. She would quote thank you to the incredible Minneapolis Fourth uh, Precinct officers, called them out by name. But so on one hand, and this is the problem, and this is what is so difficult for thinking people to understand. Here is a person who is a victim of her own policies, policies that she supports, the policies that her party supports and puts into place. Yet she still refuses to acknowledge the reality of it, and she blames the guns. As if these people, after coming face-to-face with individuals that have so little respect for the law, so little respect for human life, would beat her down in front of her four children, would somehow abide by some sort of gun control law, which they already violated anyhow? This is why the cities that are run by Democrats continue to spiral down, because no matter how many times they suffer due to their own policies, they still refuse to accept the reality of their policies being the reason for the problem. Glenn Beck's next. Have a great weekend. I'm Nick Reed.